Namo tasa bhagavato arahato samasambhutasa Namo tasa bhagavato arahato samasambhutasa Namo tasa bhagavato arahato samasambhutasa Bhutang Dhammang Sankhang Namasami Forgot the mic. <laughs> I was wondering where you were looking. It's right, right. <laughs> 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 Okay. Makes no sense, no? Um... <laughs> this was just like a very good example of uh, perception, you know, because another body was uh, another body was looking at me, and and uh, I did not. Notice, you know, that I forgot the microphone. I was thinking a few different things while she was looking at me. <laughs> but not a single one was was real. <laughs> this is, you know, perception is really a big. Um, Obstacle, you know, for for realizing freedom from suffering because it's almost always inaccurate. <laughs> so, and you know, I'm quite sure you have experienced it in your life as well, in some ways or in another way. But uh, I think it's a very deep deep uh, you know issue we have to explore in in the practice really this uh, issue of perception you know because we 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 use concepts and concepts you know appear to be unchanging well as the processes you know we are labeling with the concepts are constantly changing and that process nature gets lost in the fact of us, you know, using labels which are unchanging like such as head or, or clock <coughs> or anything. You know, it doesn't say anything about the process nature of it. And because we are so deeply, deeply operating, you know, with those, with, in this way, we are you know, so far removed from reality in the way how we think and and everything. So it's it's like a huge tangle, you know, which we need to start to find an entryway into it. And uh, and one way, you know, of of starting to kind of investigate this tangle is uh, through looking at our lives and looking at ourselves in terms of the five khandhas, 
or the five aggregates. And, you know, at the morning chanting, we were mentioning those. <clears throat> you might, you know, recall when we are chanting. Uh, in brief, the five focuses of the grasping mind are dukkha. These are as follows. Rupu Bhadana Kando, identification with the body. And then, this is on page 11. Vedanu Padana Kando, identification with feeling. Sanyu Padana Kando, identification with perception. Sankaru Padana Kando, identification with mental formations. And Vinyanu Padana Kando, identification with consciousness. So those are those five Kandas I want to speak a little bit about tonight. And you know what, uh, in his first discourse, the Buddha spoke about the Four Noble Truths. And you know, the first of those Four Noble Truths is there is suffering. And, and one way, you know, of, of um, um, explaining what it is, is in short, the five focuses of the grasping mind are dukkha. So, you know, <clears throat> clinging to those five khandas as me and mine, this is what the um, definition of dukkha is, of uh, unsatisfactoriness or sometimes also called suffering in the early translations. So, you know, those five khandas, they are what they are, but as soon as we cling to them as being me or mine, or me or my world, as soon as we cling to them, they turn around and they, you know, it becomes suffering. Because they are processes and not, not things, you know, we can own or we can we can control in any way. The only control we have is that we can wean ourselves off from, this, from these misperceptions. That's the only control we have, you know, and the whole Dhamma, the whole teaching of the Buddha is, you know, trying to guide us so we, become, you know, so we have a direct experience of what those five khandas actually are, you know, under the surface. And then if we do have, you know, a direct experience, then this misperception starts to kind of fade away, you know, starts to uh, thin out ever more, you know, until full enlightenment when there's no more such clinging there. And then the five khandas will still, you know, operate. But because we are not clinging to them anymore, there is no suffering resulting from it. Because, you know, the way how nature operates in and of itself isn't creating suffering for us. It's just the way how we relate to it. Because of these misperceptions. You know, it's, it's just before the two of us were kind of experiencing, you know, Anna Napoli was looking at me and I had a few ideas where she was looking at me 
and I was quite sure, you know, that one of those was right, but I wasn't 100% sure, so I waited <laughs> before I would kind of, you know, act, act on this because it might have been embarrassing or anything like that. So I was, I was mindful enough to not say anything prematurely. But I have many times before done that. <laughs> but I've learned from it, you know, to a certain extent. And, you know, and the trigger wasn't too extreme, so I could, I could kind of stay mindful, you know. But if it would have been a different if she would have looked at me like this or something. <laughs> it might have been different, you know. <laughs> so, it depends very much, you know, on the intensity of the trigger. And then also, you know, for different people, different triggers are considered to be intense. So, this is just such a complex field, you know. So many different layers of of conditioning and you know the five hindrances which are on this poster outside in the foyer you know if we are not connected with our experience then we are in one of the five hindrances that's that's one layer you know of uh, misperception and then you know the next layer would be like having some, you know, latent tendencies, some filters, you know, which are laying, are laying dormant in our minds. And as soon as the button is pressed, you know, it just erupts out. That would be a, a, a bit of a deeper layer, you know, which we are not aware of, but at the moment when the button is pressed, it, you know, the filter kind of explodes out. And we are not seeing anymore what, clearly what's going on. And then the, the deepest, you know, f uh, misperceptions and, and, you know, veils of delusion which we are all, you know, sharing are, is, is uh, seeing that which is impermanent as permanent, you know, and seeing that which is uh, unsatisfactory as satisfactory and seeing that which is not self as self. This is the very deepest layer and you know all, all those layers they are working together and they casting a net of delusion over our experience of those five khandhas. And you know, we are kind of caught inside that net. And for a very long time, we, we, we are not even aware of that. You know, we don't even know about it. But then, you know, the first, the beginnings then is, you know, if we hear of a teaching which speaks about this, then, you know, we can start to disentangle this net, you know, and take away one layer after the next. And, you know, looking at the five khandhas is, is, is a very uh, powerful practice to try to kind of um, start with removing this net of delusion. 
and it's often mentioned in the scriptures, you know, that, that uh, people have been, you know, succeeding in this way. It's, uh, and it is a, is a very oft spoken about uh, method, you know, of training the mind. And uh, I just want to speak a little bit about that. And, uh, you know, the Buddha often uses very simple similes to, to drive home, you know, some of those points. And I just want to mention, you know, the similes he has been mentioning, he has been speaking about in terms of the kanda. So the first kanda is, and the word kanda means aggregate or sometimes also translated as heaps. So, you know, we can, that's what we call me and my life, you know, we can, we can uh, express that in, in five heaps. And one heap is the heap of body, next one is the, is the heap of feelings, the next one heap of perception, heap of mental formations and heap of consciousness. So if you imagine, you know, you, you are life just lying in front of you in those five heaps. It's kind of a very odd way of looking at it, but it's quite a handy way, you know. Because it gives us a, a, a framework to investigate. And, and the heap of the body, the Buddha compares it with a lump of foam, you know, which, which doesn't have any much substance to it. There's lots of space and it just exists for a short while and then it, it just falls apart, just like, you know, our bodies. And you know, in terms of experience, it, it tells you, it gives you like an idea of where you are, in a location, this body here. And then the next, the next uh, heap is feeling, and the Buddha compares it with a, a bubble, you know, on a, on a stream of water, a bubble exists only for a very, very short time. And then it just goes back in the stream and then another bubble comes up and goes back and the next one comes. And in terms of experience, it's how I am. Pleasant, unpleasant. And then the next one is perception. And the Buddha compares that with a mirage. You know, for example, uh, you know, walking in a forest and seeing a, a seeing a long, thin shape on the on the forest floor, and for a moment thinking, oh, it's a snake, and then just kind of shortly, you know, feeling a sense of kind of contraction and danger, and then looking again, oh, it's just a stick. This kind of a 
you know, misperception which can sometimes happen, but in according to the teaching, you know, this is how we perceive everything. We you know, we we perceive things in a in a way which is very conditioned. And in, in terms of experience it is what I am. You know, what I experience myself to be. And then the fourth one is uh, mental, the fourth heap is mental formations and it's compared with a, with a banana tree or a plantain tree because those, you know, those tree trunks, when you cut through them, they don't have any core, they don't have any hardwood. It's just like a spiral of, of material and you know, it, it's, it's very hollow. And in terms of experience, it's why I am. Because it tries to make sense, you know, of experience. And then the last one, consciousness, is compared with a, a magician's performance. And as soon as you, uh, you know, kind of see behind the curtain and see all of the props the magician uses in order to conjure up this, you know, uh, worlds which a, a skilled magician is doing. Yeah. As soon as that is seen, you know, the whole fascination kind of falls apart. We can still, you know, see the performance, but we don't believe in it anymore. That this is really what is happening here. And in terms of experience, it's whereby I am. So, you know, the, f the, the first three and the last one of those khandhas, they, you know, they, they are, what they are producing, uh, they're producing for us a concept about what is this. Whereas the fourth one, the mental formation, is what I'm going to do about this. You know, how I'm going to respond to this. So, and you know, and if you look at your life, this is what it is. It's what is it and what I'm going to do about this. This is life. If it's, you know, if you, if you try to simplify it, it's all about that next experience, next thing, you know, kind of approaching in terms of feeling or, you know, uh, in relationship to the outside world, so to say, and we always respond and respond and respond and assert, you know, our, our existence in some way. Sometimes we respond in terms that we want more of it, and sometimes we respond in a way that we don't want it. And sometimes we just don't know. And, you know, if you really want to look at life, you can kind of bring it back to this very simple way of looking at it. 
And then, you know, the next step would be to look at all of those five khandhas and look into them. Are they permanent or impermanent? And then, you know, when we look at it in, in the meditation, what we see first is they are impermanent. And this is exactly what we were, you know, chanting also in this morning chanting. Because this is what the instruction is, you know, to look at those five heaps, to look into those five aggregates and, and discern in, in the meditation, are they permanent or are they impermanent? Because, you know, when we are caught up in an experience, we, we don't really look at it in that way. We just, we just get, get immediately kind of triggered in some way or another. And then we, the only thing, you know, we are concerned about is what I'm, what I'm going to do about this. You know, do I want more of it or do I not want it? And that takes up our whole uh, energy, you know, to respond in this way. And we don't usually look at it in terms of the instructions that the Buddha is giving us. And this is why he is giving those instructions to us. So look at those five heaps in terms of are they permanent or are they impermanent? And then look at them look at them in terms of are they self or are they not self and because they are not permanent they, they cannot be self so the instructions is you know to kind of break our life apart in those into those five aggregates and then investigate and then you know allow that investigation to kind of work on the concepts, you know, which are building blocks, you know, of our mind and, and allowing those concepts to slowly but surely, you know, fade out through repetitive looking at the khandas in this way. Slowly but surely, you know, these misperceptions, they just kind of fade out. Just in the way, you know, if you have like a, a piece of cloth which is very dirty and you wash it repeatedly, the stains, you know, get fade out. And that's exactly, you know, what we need to do uh, in the practice, you know, to kind of apply these very simple instructions in a... In a yeah, in an ongoing way and kind of overcome, you know, the kind of um, resistance and, and to have the patience, you know, to, to do that. And, you know, and through, through this practice, the, the stains, you know, fade away and then the, the vastness of reality, you know, is, is becoming more and more apparent. And, you know, and then we have more and more capacity, you know, to keep our minds open. You know, as I was, you know, guiding us this morning, this in the meditation about, you know, opening the mind, you know, 
taking out the partitions, you know, which have gone up since, you know, we have been, you know, impacted by, by all kinds of conditioning, you know, which we over lifetimes, you know, have been accumulating. And, you know, and some of this conditioning is just, you know, very, very ancient. It's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's basic survival strategies, you know, which, which have come to us over, over evolutionary times, you know, and they do have a function. And, you know, and the, and the function is survival of, of the body. And, you know, and in that endeavor, you know, of evolution to kind of do its work or do its thing, you know, there is also you know, an impact on, on our minds happening, you know, which, which we need to at least know, you know, need to be aware of. And those three characteristics, yeah, I have been speaking about, you know, they do have like, And uh, you know we can see, for example, in the evolutionary trajectory, for example, you know the impermanence, for example, of of all phenomena. You know, if if we would not have a mind, you know, which has the capacity to project. Uh, A perception of permanence and solidity onto phenomena, it would be very difficult for us to operate, you know, in a conventional level. So there is, it has a it has a function, and the same, you know, with the unsatisfactoriness or instability. Or, you know, if we wouldn't have a capacity, you know, to make a decision between what is a threat to the body and what is something to follow up, we would not be able to survive, you know, as, as, a, as a human body. If we wouldn't know what to, you know, look, go after and what to run away from, you know, there would be no human beings on this planet. So it has a function and the same, you know, with self and not self. It has an evolutionary function to experience oneself as a separate entity, you know. To be one, a little baby is not able to experience itself as separate from the mother. But then, you know, it's a, it's a in in when the baby, you know, kind of grows up and, and it is it is the right way, you know, to be able to, at one point, to experience yourself as separate from your mother and then even, you know, leave the house and, and get a job and earn some money and, and have a life and all of that. So it does have a function, but then do not stop there, you know, to go, to go beyond it, to see the function it has, but then, you know, leave it behind again, because in terms of 
ultimate truth, it, it needs to be left behind. So it's, it's, a, it's a growing up and growing out of into a much vaster way, you know, of belonging and knowing, you know, that we belong to this process in a much bigger way. And, you know, the insight in, into reality, you know, which can, you know, support this seeing through those three characteristics and then, you know, letting go of that but still operating in this way. This is the um, paradox, you know, of being a human being and having a life, you know, which which can be understood in terms of those five khandhas and investigated. And, you know, then we still, you know, if a human being is, is fully enlightened and the mind is free, they still have a, a body and they still operate. And, but the mind is no longer bound in this way. And, you know, the, I've brought here some, some quotes, you know, how, how, how different teachers have been uh, um, expressed, you know, this insight. And, you know, all schools of Buddhism, and I think, you know, all, all spiritual teachings, you know, are speaking about this uh, process of, you know, of a complete letting go. And, and in the Thai forest tradition, Achen Cha, yeah, who is, uh, you know, the, fu- the founder of the lineage Anana body and I have been trained in originally, he spoke about this as, you know, the reality, very simple, you know, Nibbana or enlightenment is the reality of non-grasping. So this openness of mind to be able to live from that openness is simply the reality of non-grasping. And then, you know, a Tibetan teacher, famous teacher, Dilgo Kensi Rinpoche, he describes the same as freedom from clinging. So, you know, there are teachers who come from very different backgrounds and very different forms of Buddhism, but the expression of it is exactly the same. The reality of non-grasping, Ajahn Chah and Dilokian Rinpoche, freedom from clinging. You know, by looking into the five aggregates, by looking into the five khandhas, you know, in a deep way, this, is the, this would be the result, you know. Because once those five khandhas are seen for what they are, the mind just stops to cling. Because it sees very clearly through the meditation practice that there is no way that clinging would ever yield any benefit.
It's exactly the opposite. And this is, you know, what is very difficult, you know, for for us to to realize. And this is why we need this, those instructions because it's it's uh, you know so so different than what the surface appearance tells us. You know, it is exactly the opposite. So we need to just go underneath again and again and into the depths of that and then through doing that with a lot of patience and a lot of uh, equanimity you know it will dawn on us it's like you know a process we we can fully trust, but we don't know when it's going to bear fruit for us. So we have to have the, the willingness you know, to apply ourselves to it. And this is exactly you know, what the definition of, of wisdom is, you know, to, to attain to our experience in this wide open way. Of not, you know, not believing that we know what it is, but just being willing to be, to be with it and allow it to show us what it really is. You know, allow the world to speak for itself, rather than constantly speaking for it. You know, constantly kind of projecting our opinions, our ideas, our concepts onto it. That just doesn't really work. You know. And concepts are like an entrance into the practice. Otherwise, you know, we wouldn't. It would make no sense us giving any teachings because we also speak in concepts, of course. But we try to use skillful concepts, you know, to to kind of create some entry gates into it. And but then in the end, you know, they have to be let go of. They are just like you know, some initial ideas to start from and then have to be left behind. When the Buddha says, you know, the raft, he speaks about, you know, using a raft to set over the stream, but then when you're on the other side, you, you need to leave it behind. So the teaching, you know, eats itself up in the end. It's nothing, nothing is going to be left. And uh, you know, so the, the wisdom is, you know, being willing to not know what is this, but allowing it to speak for itself. And, and, and faith would be to then, you know, what, what is seen, to allow that to really ripple through our life, to really live from that place, that is faith. And the two of them, you know, they, they need to work together. Because, you know, seeing something in the meditation and then not really applying it in our lives is, is, is you know, it's going to take forever, you know. Because if you, if you don't really 
apply it in your life, it's not going to have uh, a liberating effect on the mind because we need to really, through experience, you know, for, through living from that place, as much as we have seen to, to really live from that place that strengthens, you know, the, the inside and makes it uh, more <coughs> thorough, you know. So the faith and wisdom are, are like the two uh, wings of a bird, you know. If it has only one wing, it's not going to get anywhere. And I think that's what also is, is very uh, special and on a retreat, that because of the... Of the um, The supportive environment—it's—it's—it's it's easier than usual, you know, to really try on some of those insights you have and and really enact them, you know, when you go to the dining hall, just when you do little things, you know, to to really kind of live from that place. And, and have some feedback, you know, from your life, basically. Because it can help, you know, to... It, it gives it more weight and it will sink deeper into your being. And then, you know, next time when a challenge comes, we have more... Uh, there's more conviction there to, to just kind of give it the benefit of the doubt, you know, not immediately kind of reacting in the usual way, you know, rather than responding, you know, responding from an openness, you know, and trusting that the response will come forth. We don't immediately have to, you know, go with the knee-jerk reaction. For example, when Anna Naboli was looking at me, I immediately, ah, what's, I could have just, but I didn't. And, and then I suddenly noticed, oh, I, I forgot to put on the microphone. That's why she looked at me. And it, she wanted to help me and help all of you so you can hear what I say. <laughs> but it would be so easy to think, oh, why is she looking like that? So and this is just a very little example, you know, but this is where, you know, where we can, you know, bring the, the teaching home into our being, into our lives. And then, you know, next time somebody might look at me again and then I will have even more, you know, power to not react but to just respond. And, and that's... You know, that's what the practice is all about. You know, so that the familiarization with reality, you know, sinks in ever deeply and then all of those, you know, conditioning layers which are in the way, they have to leave in order for that to sink in, you know. And that's a, it's not always an easy process, you know. 
because it, it feels like it's all kind of not sure, not sure, but that's the way it is. Nothing is sure. Nothing is certain. And we somehow have this counterintuitive thing going on, you know, if, if, it, if things are uncertain, we just, we just grab on even harder, you know, thinking we can win. But we cannot win this way. Another way of of looking at the at the aggregates is according according to the scriptures there's you know twenty different forms how how the aggregates you know can be misunderstood in, in relationship to self. And I just let you know those. That the five aggregates can be, you know, to, that they are seen as being me, being self, or that the self is seen to possess the five aggregates, or that the five aggregates are, are seen to be inside the self, or that the self is seen to be inside the five aggregates. So that's the 20 ways, you know, how that can be misunderstood. And in short, the five focuses of the grasping mind are dukkha. In short, you know, the five aggregates of clinging uh, what suffering is. So, you know, whenever there is any experience of that in your lives, you can trace it back, you know, to a clinging in one of those five aggregates. Any kind of stressful experience whatsoever, you know, can be traced back in this way. And then we have to look at the aggregates, are they permanent or are they, are they impermanent? So it, it's a, a skillful way, you know, of, of looking at experience and, and seeing, you know, there's nothing wrong with the way things are, it's just the way, how we relate to it. This is where the issue lies, you know, this is, and this is also where we have power, this is, this we can change, you know, our way of relating. We can't change the way things are, but we can change the way how we relate to the aggregates, that we can change. And the meditation is the, you know, is the, the training to slowly but surely 
change this way of relating, you know, by seeing clearly. And then, you know, living from that place and to kind of strengthen the seeing even more, you know, and letting it bring, giving it more weight, letting it sink in and the misperceptions just, they get eradicated in that way. So those five khandas are just about, you know, what is this and what I'm going to do about it. Those two, you know, they are very important questions, you know. There's no other questions really in, in life. You can, you know, you can trace it back to those two questions. And, you know, if you're operating from misperception, then we can always make, only make the, the wrong decisions. And, and that's what's, you know, what produces suffering and stressfulness in our lives. So it's, it's a very good idea, you know, to look at the five khandas and, and see what's really there. And it all starts, you know, by seeing the impermanence, the arising and ceasing. And, um, and because this is such a central uh, investigation, you know, which we all need to train ourselves in, it's, it's in the scriptures, it's also called like the, the lion's roar of the Buddha, because it's such a powerful important and liberating teaching. So, you know, if you feel you'd like to, you know, have some handy template, you know, to look at, at your life, these five khandas are a very good way of uh, looking. body, a lump of foam, feelings, a bubble on water, perception, a mirage, mental formations, uh, a banana tree or a plantain tree, and consciousness, a magician's trick, a magician's performance. And these are the five khandas. And our whole life fits into those. And at the same time, you know, our whole life is, is completely interconnected with everything else in this universe.
So I hope I haven't confused you more with my <laughs> exposition on the five khandhas. It was for me, when I started to uh, meditate, you know, many years ago in Thailand, it was the first way, you know, how I, I was looking at experience, at, at my experience, and I found it a very useful teaching. And in the monastery where I started, it was very emphasized there. I started in Achim Buddhadasa's monastery in Thailand. So I hope, you know, it, it can be helpful for you as well. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.